Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author and historian Jeffrey Frazier. He's the author of Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, and also the Pennsylvania Fireside Tales, Volumes 1 through 8. Jeffrey's books cover a variety of myths, legends, and historical facts about interesting and unusual places and people across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Jeffrey was born and raised in Center Hall, Center County, where he says he grew up in a Tom Sawyer sort of way later graduating with a B.S. from Penn State in 1967 and then an M.B.A. from Ryder University in New Jersey in 1978. Some of the fondest memories of his boyhood including, include explorations of out-of-the-way spots in the mountains and accounts of the legends that seem to cling to them. And beginning in 1970, he began collecting those kind of anecdotes from all over the state, ranging from the Blue Mountains of Berks and Lehigh Counties, the South Mountains of Adams County, the Black Forest area of Potter and Tioga Counties, the Alleghenies of Clearfield and Blair Counties, and the other counties in the middle. He has compiled his vast collection of tales into a series called Pennsylvania Fireside Tales. Now Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks in three volumes is a continuation of his work, written in a format that the average reader can enjoy, especially those who love the green valleys and cloud-covered mountain peaks of Pennsylvania, as much as he does. Jeffrey Frazier, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. I am out of breath. That's a lot of counties <laughs> and a lot of mountains. <laughs> right, right, right. But I guess that's what Pennsylvania is all about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I I thoroughly enjoyed uh, bringing your your books out under Sunbury Press, Catamount Press, um, our imprint. It's been a lot of fun. Great. I know we uh, had a long debate about this Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks, whether it should be three volumes, one volume, or how we should do it. And right. uh, yeah. really happy to be bringing back the Fireside Tales. So maybe we should start with the Fireside Tales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this really begins back in 1970. You do realize, Jeffrey, that's a long time ago. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, holy crap. I was six years old in 1970. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so I won't ask how old you are. Obviously, a little bit older than me. but uh, Yeah, right, yeah, right. Very different time in 1970 than 2024. But, um, oh, my, yes. And the, ways, the way you collected these legends, it must have been mostly word of mouth or um you know through uh libraries or i don't know newspapers T- tell us about the it's, it's pretty interesting i after i graduated from penn state I ended up working in ohio for a while and then back to new jersey and for some reason i always thought there were mountains around the whole state like uh, i had experienced growing up in central pennsylvania and i was kind of surprised i guess although i had traveled across the state but anyway uh I just missed the mountains and uh, ended up working in Princeton, New Jersey. And uh, I oftentimes visited the Firestone Museum on the Princeton University campus. And and I was homesick for the mountains. uh, And uh, I just found the books in the Firestone Library written by an author named Henry Shoemaker. And his stories brought home right into my lap. I mean, I was homesick. And then I read his books and they brought uh, home right into my lap because I recognized the family names, the place names and so forth. And so 
uh, I just uh, loved the stories, read everything I could get my hands on, and then after I had exhausted that material, thought to myself, well, you know, I always liked the legends and folk tales growing up in central Pennsylvania. Like you said, it was a Tom Sawyer sort of boyhood, and uh, a time that will never come again as far as the quality of life. But anyway, uh, I decided I'd start collecting the legends and folk tales I loved hearing as growing up as a boy and and do the uh, roaming in the mountains like I loved as well. It was, good, it was an opportunity to get back and do that. And But it was 1970. We just put a man on the moon, and here I am looking for folktales and legends whose origins <laughs> went back to Civil War and beyond. And I didn't think I had a, an icicle's chance in hell of finding anything. But right. first gentleman I talked to, he understood exactly what I was looking for, told me some great stories, and put me in touch with other local folks. And it just has snowballed from there. I mean, I've kept my eyes open for other sources of information uh, that I noticed in newspaper articles or on TV programs or whatever. And uh, at book signings and so forth, inevitably, people will come up to me and say, have you talked to so-and-so or have you heard this story? And it continues to grow that way. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think what's really cool about that is um, the connection to Shoemaker. We'll start with that. You know, and oh, then, yeah. you know, and yeah. Shoemaker, I think, passed away early '60s, maybe late uh, late '50s. '58, uh, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Several, you know, quite a few years before 1970. So it's right. not not right. like you got to meet Henry Shoemaker and he passed the baton to you, <laughs> but well, you know, yeah. The, since my wife suggested on our honeymoon that we travel around Pennsylvania and visit the sites I'd written about, first place we had reserved uh, a room for for the night was at rest, uh, sleep in a shoemaker's bedroom. I mean, wow. was, it doesn't get much better than that. And all the stuff that he had originally collected and so forth was still in his study and his den and so forth. So it was really quite the experience. Yeah. I have been uh, with Guy Graybill to Restless Oaks not too long ago. Of course, very different from maybe back back then. But yeah. um, the one thing I'll say, <laughs> you said you spent the night in Shoemaker's bedroom. Be careful, because I have a collection of 500 letters from his mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, could have, I could have had those. Some, the woman that gave Guy Graybill got those from, offered yeah. them to me, and I just wasn't really interested. Got them and see if there's oh. – there needs to be some work on that to make oh. something out of it someday. But, Great. Yeah, Sh Shoemaker, <laughs> what a character. So, you know, all his personal eccentricities aside, good and bad, yeah. I think his literature is really what shines through. And I know I had a similar experience as – more recently got turned on to his work and now mm -hmm. we're publishing it. In fact, his in the seven mountains is our best selling book is uh, that right? right now so far this year, which is amazing that a hundred, wow, a hundred year old book is, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. is flying off the shelves or at least over the internet. But right. Uh, right. Yeah. What would you say it was about shoemaker's work that, that really turned you on? Well, as I said, it was more a result of homesickness, but I mean, I really liked his writing style. There's no question about it. He had a gift for writing. I mean, his descriptive phrases and his coloration of his stories is just unsurpassed, I think. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's been, been uh, uh, judged for exaggerating, inventing, and romanticizing his stories. And uh, that's, there's an element of truth in that, but there's always uh, kernels of truth behind his stories. I just recently gave a presentation to, at the Annie Ross Library in Lock Haven mm -hmm. about the, uh, the um, uh, 
sources of information and the landmarks associated with Shoemaker's Tales. And it's pretty fascinating what you find when you delve into that, you know, where you got some of his ideas. And a lot of times uh, the ideas came from uh, early historians who, who documented certain things. And, of course, Shoemaker did pick them up. But uh, there's no question also that he, he romanticized and colorized uh, them for his, his own purposes, which I think uh, were well documented and, and uh, analyzed by uh, Samuel Bronner in his book called Popularizing Pennsylvania, Penn State University Press Publication. And he, he claims that Shoemaker did the romantic, romanticization and coloration of his tales to interest people in the uh, conservation of our Pennsylvania mountains. You know, yes. he was a very dedicated conservationist, and I think that was his purpose, and that uh, makes sense. I, I agree, and unfortunately, Jeffrey, we got to take our first break. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent, diverse authors. Hearth and Home Press brings you When I Listen to a Farmer by Pete Curran, a book of photos and stories from American farmers. Also check out Fly Fishing for Trout and Bass, a beginner's quick guide by Charles F. Johnson, and At Home, 92 home-based activities to keep adults and children busy, sane, and centered by Prudence Ingerman. Find these and other intriguing works at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Jeffrey Frazier, the author of Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks and Pennsylvania Fireside Tales. And Jeffrey, I, I don't want to spend 30 minutes talking about Henry Shoemaker. We want to talk a little bit about you. So, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> I, you know, I know uh, a great inspiration there. Um, but it, it's the landscape. It's the state. It's the uh, the people, especially this northern, western. Well, you know, it's probably most of the state, the Appalachian area. Right. Once we come out of this great valley where I live down near Mechanicsburg, Boiling Springs, Carlisle, you know, you go a little bit west. Yep. And go through that first tunnel and the turnpike, and then oh, yeah. you're, you're off into this magical realm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing some research on it and note the differences in culture and history. Very different from the rest of Pennsylvania. Oh, yes. What, what to you stands, stands out as different? What turns you on to the history of this region? Well, I tell you what. When I interviewed people, I finally came to the realization that to obtain the legends and folk tales that I really wanted, my best sources were older males of German descent, because uh, scholars have described legends and folk tales as, as waifs of time, and that is because they seem oblivious to the currents of time itself, and they come down to us over the currents of time, and. Uh, settling in certain areas, picking up the local names and colors so that eventually it looks like those legends and folktales actually happened at those spots and uh, were uh, originally uh, uh, originally occurred in those spots. And so uh, after taking on the local names and color, uh, there's a confusion about where they did come from. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they were, in most cases, they were brought over here by the early settlers from Europe. Uh, you know, they liked their legends and folk tales and settled in areas that looked very much like where they came from in Europe. And so they brought their tales. It looks like the uh, tales were told about the areas they finally settled in so that it looked like the the uh, tales came from those same areas. Yeah, now, you have tales that are, uh, some are paranormal, some are just about lost love, some are, uh, mm-hmm. you know, about the native peoples that used to be here. 
What do you right. think is uh, is there a favorite one or two that really stand out? Well, people often ask me that. What's your favorite story? And my rhetoric uh, at the time was, well, the one I'm working on right now. Yeah. But every book I've written, I have a favorite story or two in each book I've written. And in uh, volume one of Pennsylvania Fireside Tales, I always say it's the story I, I've uh, titled uh, Sleepless Night in the Haunted House. It was about my great-grandfather, who was an old-time lumberman who helped lumber off the seven mountains areas of center and Mifflin counties. And a story about uh, how he spent in an old deserted log cabin uh, that was near where they were working. The lumbermen were working, and the other lumbermen said, don't stay there. It's a haunted house. And he said, well, I don't believe in that. And so he stayed in it. And it's a story uh, about how he uncovered the supposed ghost that haunted the place. It's pretty interesting. That's definitely one of my favorites. But in that same volume, in volume one, a story called The Lost Brother of Bald Eagle Valley. And it's about how uh, Indians sometimes took... Uh, pioneer family's children captive and raised them as their own and uh, remarkably a lot of those children when uh, the families finally found them and tried to bring them back had grown into young adults and they didn't want to come back they liked the indian lifestyle and that was one of the things that happened to uh, yeah a story of a, of a malone family in the bald eagle valley of pennsylvania and uh, it was uh, Twin boys were captured by uh, Indians when the father was off helping Washington fight in the Revolutionary War. Their names were Leslie and, and uh, Richard Malone. And the family uh, finally found them, found Richard, uh, Leslie, and brought him back. And he stayed with them through the springtime. And then he left. He said this was no life for him. He was going back to the Indians. And so he did. And it's like his fate was lost in the spring the sparkling sparks of an Indian campfire at that point. Wow. And uh, nobody in the Malone family knew what happened to I collect how much is fact, how much is fam- fancy. Are there any kernels of truth buried in the stories? And when I investigated this story of Richard Malone, I did uncover an interesting passage in a history of northwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, it was uh, recorded uh, in there that uh, the first settler in what is now Crawford County was a man named... Uh, Oh, I forget his name. But anyway, uh, he uh, recorded in his diary that when he first visited or settled in Crawford County, he was visited there. This time of uh, the Pennsylvania history, the Indian Wars were over. He was visited there by the great war chief, uh, Corn Planner, who Mm -hmm. was head of the Seneca Nation at that point. And he was accompanied by several young men who had been captured by the Indians when young men who had since grown up with the Indians and some of them had married Indian women. And the, uh, this is David Mead was the gentleman's name, recording men from the Shohari Valley of New York State and one from the Bald Eagle Valley of Pennsylvania. And he recorded the gentleman's name as Lashley Malone. And that seemed very close enough to me to be the Leslie Malone of the Malone family and the dates fit and so forth. And so, I mean, it was a remarkable uh, 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 confirmation of history and the family, world history. And I went back to the uh, patriarch of the Malone family who told me the story and told him what I had found. And he said, well, he said, that kind of jives with what I always said, that uh, uh, the Malone family uh, has no Indian blood in them, but the Indians might have Malone blood in them. <laughs> you know, if the young man married uh, Indian maid and had children by her, 
that makes sense too. So, I mean, that was the kind of amazing, I mean, my the hairs in the back of my neck pretty much stood up when I found this passage. And that's what I do. I have, a, I have, still have a pretty extensive library of Pennsylvania history books and so mm-hmm. on. And it's a, it's a reward to find those kind of correlations. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is awesome that you can uncover that and make those connections at, at you know, on the flip side, I'm sure you come across things that you realize are big farces. Oh, and, yes. And oh, I know yes. Shoemaker was behind a bunch of them, like the, mm-hmm. the big Indian battle on the steps. Uh, oh, the Indian steps, yeah, yes. That yes. Yeah, that never happened. <laughs> I, uh, I just uh, published, I had an article yeah. published by the Center County Historical Society in that, titled The Mystery of the Indian Steps. And I go into that in some detail, including mention of Shoemaker's contributions and mm-hmm. also where that came from. Simon Bronner kind of identified that, that John C. French, who was one of Shoemaker's main contributors, uh, suggested this uh, story to Shoemaker that they could invent a story about a battle on the Indian steps and so on. So I, I went into that in some detail and also how uh, those steps might have been built and why. And yeah. uh, came out with some interesting conclusions. So, yeah. Well, I, I kind of think it's interesting that he's writing about the Indians from the south and the Indians from the north. Oh, yeah. wasn't there a civil war, north versus south, in the United States just a few years before he wrote the story? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, in your in your explorations – were there was there any like major thing you found out that was like total bunk? For instance, any historical markers around that you know just are like they got to be completely wrong. Yeah, well, Shoemaker himself uh, erected some of those markers, and uh, uh, the uh, uh, one that's over in the Green Gap, I think it's like Combing County, about. Uh, 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 Captain Green and his rangers being massacred by Indians there and so forth. Apparently, there's no historical basis for that. I think Guy Graybill went into that a little yeah. bit, too. Yeah. But, you know, it's a lot of things like that. Uh, there's uh, also, he mentions about a, an Indian fort called Pomfret Castle and wrote about a about a uh, young lady who committed suicide there because her lover had rejected her in favor of another lady. And, and it turns out... Uh, there's no palm fret castle known to be anywhere uh it was never apparently constructed it was uh, an order that should be constructed from the colonial government but apparently it never developed so you know shoemaker kind of picked that up and ran with it and again and embellished and invented a little bit so yeah it happens with shoemaker and as far as the other he's erected uh, monuments over near mecklehatton to uh the uh Chief Pip Sisaway, yeah. great Indian chief, you know, that never existed either. I mean, you don't find him in Sipes, uh, Indian Wars or Indian mm-hmm. Chiefs of Pennsylvania or uh, in any of the colonial records. Uh, no chief by that name at all. Uh, so, there was some facts, though, that he wrote a story uh, about uh, uh, King Whitehall, the uh, over at uh, uh, in uh, Andes Gap, along Andes Creek. There's an Andes uh, uh, Fort Ford. over there, it was yeah, yeah it's corrected over there. But also, there's Whitehall Spring, and he wrote a story about the ghost of Chief Whitehall haunting that spring, and so forth. Turns out, it's interesting though. Uh, there was a Chief Whitehall, and he did uh, uh, forfeit Indian lands at, to the colonial government for a pack, parcel of English goods. And he was really very uh, demeaned for that and uh, disrespected for that, but. His gravesite still there is there. You can see it. There's a uh, 
a um, high rectangular stone over his grave site. The uh, family that owns that property directed me to it. And I got pictures of it in my uh, landmarks volume. I think it's Pennsylvania landmarks volume three. But anyway, uh, there's some justification, historical justification behind some of Shoemaker's tales, even though he did really embellish so much. On that note, we're going to take our second break. We're talking to Jeffrey Frazier. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings the reader unique and independent works of fiction and nonfiction. Oxford Southern is our educational and academic imprint. Check out Shades of Brown by Todd Mealy, Philip Mosley's Telling of the Anthracite, or Wiley McCallan's A Man of Modern Letters, Ernest Hemingway, and the Rise of Modern Literature. Click on the Oxford Southern link for more at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Jeffrey Frazier, author and historian of Pennsylvania Landmarks, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, and Pennsylvania Fireside Tales 1 through 8. I'll say that the mountain landmarks are all out there uh, through our Catamount Press uh, imprint. And Fireside Tales, we're done with Volume 1. Volume 2 is on its way, and uh, we're working on the rest. So I know, Jeffrey, we're looking to upgrade those and get new editions out. Very exciting. Mm-hmm, uh, I'll say. But let's talk about the landmarks. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about legends and and uh, people. The landmarks, uh, we're getting into some of the natural features of the state that uh, you've encountered. And, of course, there's stories to those as well. But give us a couple of highlights of why the landmark series and, you know, what are your couple of favorite points in that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you know, in my travels over the state for the last 50 years now, <laughs> Uh, 54 years, actually, uh, I kept coming across, because uh, I did a lot of hiking and, and riding along in the car and uh, little travel dirt mountain byways, and on my hiking and my road travels, I noticed uh, some very interesting rock formations along the way all over the state, landmarks, I would define them as, and uh, they fascinated me, and uh, I decided after I had completed my Fireside Tales books, that I'd write a volume on all these different landmarks, which I titled Pennsylvania Mountain Land. It originally as a one-volume book, but it was really large, and that's why I decided to break it down. But uh, in each of the three volumes, what we tried to do was uh, include representative samples from all over the state. In other words, Volume 1 is just not the central part of the state, Volume 2, the eastern, Volume 3, the western. Each of the three volumes has landmarks from all over the state. And each one, each volume, has some very interesting landmarks associated with it. For example, in uh, Volume 1, there's uh, uh, a chapter on picture rocks in Lycoming County, a very unique, iconic place as far as the history behind it and why it's named that. And uh, also there's Umbrella Rock in Elk County, which is a really interesting formation. It does look like a big umbrella, but it's precariously perched on the edge of a cliff face. And uh, Boxcar Rocks in Lebanon County as well. Uh, got their name from the fact that an early politician thought they looked like a stack of railroad boxcars, and that's exactly what they look like. I mean, they're just huge, and they go on quite a ways. And uh, that's in Volume 1, which has got, got quite a few stories like that. Then in Volume 2, uh, uh, there's a uh, series of stories, similar stories. I've uh, got one on uh, the uh, aforementioned King Whitehaw's grave in Lycoming County, all the history and legends about that. And uh, also uh, 
Beartown Rocks in Center and Jefferson counties, very uh, unique place. And among others, uh, there's the uh, uh, Holy Bulls Castle in Potter County uh, and others just like that. And then we go to volume three. And uh, in that volume, uh, I talk about High Point Rock. It's one of the highest, it is the highest point in Pennsylvania. And uh, what I try to do is behind all these stories, and I've uh, subtitled this series, An Armchair Journey to Some of the Most Unusual and Inaccessible Landmarks in the Pennsylvania Mountains. And that's not over-exaggerated because I've had to hire guides to get me some of these places. Mm -hmm. Hike up steep, rocky, rooty mountain trails and so forth. So, But it's been an adventure and a, and a love of uh, adventure. And it has drawn me to these places. But in Volume 3, I talk about Hexenkopf Rock, or Witch's Head Rock, in Northampton County. And I'm going to be talking about that at our uh, gathering in Easton. That's in Northampton County. So I'm trying to localize, localize the, the um, landmarks I talk about when I talk there in Easton. Uh, you know, East, the Northampton County and surrounding counties will be featured. But... Um, uh, also, Rattlesnake Rock in Lycoming County. That's just a name that's just uh, appealing and wants you to find want people to find out more about that. So I delve into that in Volume 3 as well. So, yeah, there's lots of interesting places in Pennsylvania. And I, interestingly enough, I've been compiling a, a group of other ones that uh, I could uh, probably write another book about at some point. As well. All right. Well, we, we love your book, so that that's great. <laughs> I think the other main point about the the mountain landmarks is You've traveled all of them. Oh, yes. I, yeah. I mean, as an author, you want to visit the place you're writing about to get a sense of the local color and a feel for the place, the uh, the, uh, land, the environment around it. Mm -hmm. And I, I do not write about a place unless I actually visit there so I can take pictures of it, get a sense of place, in other words. And any good author wants to do that, I think. And, but, you know, that's part of my love of the mountains, too, just being one to get into the mountains and experience the mountains. And my lady right now uh, teases me about, well, you got your fix, your, your daily fix today when we travel through the mountains. So, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, I know we're uh, getting together in Easton on February 24th in the afternoon. Yep. Uh, what else are you up to? Do you have any other appearances scheduled? Well, you know, I've been contacting uh, some various bookstores to see if they want to have a, a, a presentation there. There's one in Lewisburg I've been trying to get in touch with and one in Lock Haven as well. So I'm just continuing to to uh, push the, the uh, books as much as I can and uh, to schedule as many appearances as I can. I haven't been having much luck through Barnes & Noble stores uh, and uh, I, I plan to visit some of those in person, too, because they're not returning my calls. And one state college says they can only order Pennsylvania Mountain Landmarks Volume 1 through the uh, main office, the Barnes & Noble store. And I don't know why that is unless they think there's only one volume in, instead of the three volumes in a series. But I'll keep pushing that as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, misinformation through Barnes & Noble these days that I've noticed. And it's been frustrating. yeah. We also love yeah. to support our independent bookstores and, uh, yeah. you know, certainly getting out and speaking just about anywhere where there's an organized group that wants to hear something interesting. Jeffrey's available most of the time, unless his lady has him running off into the hills for something <laughs> or off to Henry Shoemaker's bedroom. There you go. <laughs> 
right. Jeffrey, it's been great talking to you today. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Likewise, Lawrence. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.